So just about 10 miles northeast of uh, Varanasi, India, is another major holy city. Or you could say one of the, the holy cities of the world. And it's this town of Sarnath. And it's relatively small. It's a small city given the standards of cities in India, I'll say that. <laughs> and, and in Sarnath, there is this beautiful park called Deer Park. And you can even go, go there uh, these days where there's this great stupa there. Um, and it's said that this is where the Buddha gave his very first teaching after he had fully awakened. And it was there that he had met with his five friends that he had been doing practices before his awakening with these five friends and then had this really deep realization and offered him uh, them uh, these teachings. And one of the, these teachings is something I'm going to share with you this evening. And one of the teachings that he offered was this teaching on the Four Noble Truths, which some of you probably know in Buddhism, uh, usually in, in almost all schools of Buddhism, is one of the, the most fundamental teachings found. And what I'd like to do tonight is to just talk about the beginning of the Four Noble Truths, the first noble truth, and hopefully in a way that's applicable to your life. And actually, what we're going to be doing over quite a number of weeks is to go through the Four Noble Truths and to share them with you in a way to, that, again, hopefully you can make use of them in your life. And a couple of reasons. One is, is I think there's something important just to start to learn about this tradition. Not so much, again, so you have to believe it so that you can understand it and see where it fits and doesn't fit in your life. So there's a, an understanding of some of where this is coming from and how it might be applicable and maybe how it's not applicable. So the Four Noble Truths. The first truth is, is there is suffering. The second Noble Truth is, is uh, the arising of suffering or what's the origination of suffering. The second, the third noble truth is the cessation of suffering or the ending of suffering. And the fourth noble truth is um, the path leading to the end of suffering. And one way to understand this, one way that helps me is that the Buddha, when he was giving this teaching, he was using a me medical model. It's actually an interesting medical model. So when you have a, the medical model of his day, the first thing that you'd want to state is what's the problem? So you come into the doctor and you got to figure out what's the problem? So what the problem is, is there's suffering. There's suffering in my life. I have a hard time. It's challenging. And then it's to state, well, what, what's the cause of, of this problem? Well, the cause is, we could say, reactivity when the mind grasps or push away or gets lost in some kind of manner, and I'll be going over that next week. So that's the second step in this medical model. Then the third step is, Okay, given what the problem is and we know what the cause is, well, what would be what we're looking for for the solution? Well, the solution in this case would be the end of suffering. And then the fourth thing that you want to explore is, well, how do we get to the end of suffering? How do we get to the solution? And then there's an explanation about and also practices about how to end our suffering or how to relieve our suffering. And what I love about this is how practical and straightforward this is. 
And I think that's the first thing that I want to point out about the Four Noble Truths in general is that I find it striking where this spiritual path begins. Right? It doesn't begin with some kind of requirement from you to believe something that you have no evidence of. So it's not about buying into a belief system or to take a philosophical stance. It starts with a, a kind of problem that probably everyone here can relate to, right? Suffering, challenges. Is there anyone in this room that has not experienced suffering or some kind of challenge? Isn't that an interesting place to begin? We begin with something that you already know, that you can relate to, that you can verify with your, within your own subjective experience. That, oh, this is, this is what it is to be a human being. This is the human predicament. Is life is, life's good, but that's not the problem. The problem is when life doesn't feel good. And so again, I think this is the, really the, the important thing to remember about the Four Noble Truths in general, and in particular, this first Noble Truth that I'll be going over, that this notion that there is suffering, that this is just what it is to be a human being. And what I want to point out is that the first Noble Truth is not saying life is suffering. It's not saying that everything is just suffering. It's using a medical model, right? It's, it's looking at the aspect of your life that's problematic. And this is, again, something we can really relate to. Just if you were to reflect on the last week or the last few days, have you experienced some challenges? It could be a challenge around these bodies. They ache and they get sick. It could be the challenge around your neighbor, right? Their dog keeps on barking late at night. <laughs> there it is. It can be the challenge at work or in that relationship. So these kinds of problems are just beset us and they can be the really big problems and challenges, but it can also be the, the small challenges, just the, the small things that can really get to us. And one example of this, one cartoon, which I think is good. So there's a picture of a dog and then the dog owner, or I, th I think the terminology some people like is dog guardian with the stick. And the dog is thinking to itself, it's always good dog. Never great dog. <laughs> right? Maybe you've had some kind of experience like that, right? You only, you only get the good dog. Where's the great dog kind of feedback? So it's this, this wide range, and not only individually, but collectively. You know, there's so many, so many challenges that beset us, whether it be environmental degradation and catastrophe or political situations, and the list goes on in terms of what we're collectively facing, systemic racism or patriarchy or these things that, that create suffering and challenges. This is our human predicament. And this is really what the, the first noble truth is talking about, that this is, this is what we need to, to begin to see. 
And with each of the noble truths, there is a task for each one. So the first noble truth is there is suffering. And then what's the task that we have to start to relate to this is that it needs to be understood. And I'll go over to that kind of task of what it, what it means to understand that there is suffering. I want to step back though, again, to the four noble truths, because there's another interesting uh, word that's used and that's uh, the word uh, noble. And another way of translating that, that word is actually ennobling, that there's something that gives a quality of nobility when I actually practice the Four Noble Truths. And I'll again come back to this, but I think it's really quite interesting if you also look at the cultural context of the Buddha, because this, this term noble was used in a very particular way in the Brahminical tradition that the Buddha was living amongst in that culture. So in that tradition, one was noble because of what family you were born into. So if you're born into a Brahmin family, then you were just noble because of that. And if you're uh, born into a family that was kind of more in the, the untouchables, then you weren't noble. And so the Buddha is trying to undermine that system by using that language, but to allow it to mean something different. And now what he's saying is that somebody's not noble just because of the family they're born into. It, it's dependent upon how one lives their life. How you, how you live your life is what allows for a quality of nobility, of, of ennobling oneself in one's life, rather than some kind of societal hierarchy. And I, I like to remember this, that, that what we're engaged here in, in, on this path has a quality of empowering us, empowering us in the sense of having a quality of, quality of freedom in our own lives and hopefully a quality of freedom that influences our communities and our society and our world. So this quality of nobility is so important to understand these Four Noble Truths and the practice of these Four Noble Truths. So here we have the beginning of this, the Four Noble Truths, the first one, there is suffering. It's practical. It's something that we can relate to. It's not, nobody's asking you to take up some kind of philosophical idea or some kind of belief system. It's just acknowledging, wow, life can be hard. And if we relate to it skillfully, our suffering, it can be ennobling. <clears throat> So a little bit deeper, let's take the next step with this teaching, there is suffering. The Pali word for suffering, Pali being the early scriptural language of Buddhism, is dukkha. And, and often this word is left untranslated because it's so difficult to translate because of what it, what it conveys. So sometimes it's, it's uh, translated as stress or unsatisfactoriness or unreliability. And it can really cover a whole range of our difficulty to, as I was saying, to really big suffering in our life to the subtle things of when we want to hear great dog and we hear good dog. <laughs> Just those subtle things. And what we're looking for, really the beginning of starting to understand dukkha 
is starting to understand a particular flavor of dukkha, which is this flavor of the kind of suffering that arises in my life that's dependent upon how my mind is relating to the situation. And this is the big turn within a spiritual practice, isn't it? As I start to turn inward and to notice, how is my mind adding more suffering to this difficult situation? This is really the heart of what we're trying to do is just that turn. And it's in no way trying to deny the, the kind of difficult things that are happening out there and saying that, you know, that, that it's all my fault or something like that. It's the curiosity of what is my mind adding to this situation? That's the big, that's the big turn. That's what you could say a spiritual path is, is just that turn. And if you notice, you know, if your mind is anything like my mind, often we don't want to make that turn inward. We just always want it to be outward in some kind of manner. Another cartoon. A lot of New Yorker cartoons. <laughs> so I don't think you're going to be able to see this so well, so I'm going to describe the picture. So in the picture, there is a, a teenage girl sitting on her bed. And then at the foot of the bed, looking at her with their arms crossed, is the teenager's mother. Okay, so that's the scenario. And then the teenager says to her mother, she says, so I blame you for everything. And whose fault is that? <laughs> right? So we do that, don't, don't we? <laughs> blame someone else for everything, and it's their fault. <laughs> So I want to acknowledge that it's difficult to make that turn. And I notice that turn in my own life can make all the difference. And that's, that's when something else comes alive in my life. And what comes alive is a possibility for freedom, regardless of what's happening in my life. So this is the kind of dukkha that the Buddha is talking about. And it is confusing. Like if you look at in early Buddhism, this word dukkha is used in all different kinds of ways. It sometimes just means regular old pain. It means this sometimes this internal reactivity. It sometimes just means, you know, unpleasantness. But what we're really concerned about is this particular dukkha that I just described. How is my mind reacting to the situation to make it worse than it already is? Because that's the place where I have some agency to allow something different to change. Of course, we can, we can change situations to an extent, but often I don't have as much agency around that as I do with how my mind is relating to a certain situation. And it really can be quite subtle, like this uh, word dukkha. It actually uh, refers to um, something uh, very particular. So the, the du means off or badly or, or there's something wrong with it. And the ka uh, refers to actually the hole that you would find in a wheel, an axle hole for a wheel. So, right, they drill a hole in a wheel and then they put the axle in there. So it was basically an axle hole that was a little bit off. So if you can imagine being like in a cart in that time and there's just, 
It's, it's just like it's getting you where you want to go, but there's just something not quite right about it. So it's that feeling that you have as far as that goes. It, what, what comes to mind is when I, um, maybe a couple years before I came to Silver City, I got this 1996 Toyota Corolla. It was great. It was one of these salvaged cars, so it had been in an accident. And so the, it was a, a salvaged title, so, so somebody went and picked it up and had to get a new title for it. And then they did some work on it and then sold it to me. And <laughs> it's a good price. <laughs> so not only were the wheels a little bit off, but we, um, my wife and I were using it. This was, okay, this was not so smart, but we were using it to, um, to haul wood for our fireplace. And you get a lot of wood in it, but it, you could tell over the time it definitely did not ride correctly over, over time. And I thought, oh, this is Duca. Oh, this is the feeling of Duca. Yeah, this is here it is. Yeah. It's just not quite right, this car. So again, it can be really subtle how my mind adds onto this not quite rightness, the feeling of not quite rightness in our lives. And you might notice that. You can even think about things throughout your day where you can notice how the mind is doing that, where it can feel like everything seems to be relatively okay in your day, yet your mind is saying, there's actually something missing here. There's something not quite right here. And it's because of how the mind's relating to that. And we're going to get more into that next week. We need to get this first piece down about what it means to understand suffering, to begin to understand dukkha, this, this task for this first noble truth. So that's what I want to come back to now, is now we have this first noble truth, there is suffering. We have the wide range, right, dukkha. And in particular, we want to have this inward turn because we're going to looking at, looking about the dukkha that the mind creates. And so what is it to understand dukkha in your life? How to do this? How to do this task? task? One of the things that I've noticed that's been so helpful for this is to begin to see the dukkha in my life is just... It's just kind of the human predicament. It's just the way it is. This is what the mind does. These are the situations that just are inevitably going to happen. And I, I want to point out what a big challenge this has been for me, because so often when something goes wrong, either I'm blaming someone else or I'm blaming myself. And then if I'm blaming myself, then there's something really wrong with me. And then that has a whole rabbit hole unto itself that you might know about. Where I just end up beating myself, where I'm just adding suffering to suffering and compounding it. Because I see suffering as something that it's an indication that there's something wrong with me. And I think the cool thing about the First Noble Truth is just saying, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just that you've been born. <laughs> <laughs> And this is what it is to be a human being. And then to start to feel that, like, oh, yeah, this is the human predicament. Just that gives a sense of, starts to give a sense of ease in my life. So this is the starting of the understanding dukkha. Oh, this is the human predicament. Just that move. Not intellectually understanding it, but really feeling that. Feeling that is, is so important.
And of course, this view can run counter to the messages that were given, that a good life or a happy life is one that's a pleasant life. And often, we can even come to a spiritual practice hoping for that. Yeah, maybe if I come to this Monday night sit, my life will be more pleasant. Maybe I'll start to meditate, and things will become more pleasant in my life. Wouldn't that be cool? I'd like it. <laughs> so I want to point out that this is a little bit different than that. Because that's just chasing something that's not going to happen. I mean, in some ways, it's a, the perfect description of the, the, the addictive impulse. Well, if I can just have one more hit of this or one more hit of that, maybe I'll have just enough pleasantness to, ca to, to, to continue until the next hit of pleasantness. But we don't have to be doing some kind of substance to have that attitude of mind. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've noticed the mind looking for that. And yet a spiritual path is saying, no, we're actually going to do this turn, as I was talking about, a turn to investigate rather than to merely manage our lives. So this is different to see it simply as a, 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 the way things are, the human predicament. And then not only seeing it as a, a kind of a human predicament, predicament, but beginning to understand it in the sense of becoming curious about the challenges in your life. To actually begin to touch what you're struggling with. And so back to kind of that, you know, the cartoon of the teenage girl and her mother. What's it like to make the inward turn to actually notice what's going on in your own mind? Huh, what's going on here? That curiosity to understand and feel dukkha. And it can be so small. Like I, I, I was at the post office this afternoon. And I walked in there, and it was a longer line than I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I found it irritating. And then there was just that turn. Oh, interesting. Oh, this is what the mind is doing. It wants to get through the line quicker. Oh, and it sees, it sees other people taking a long time up there, and it's <laughs> irritated with them. Oh, OK, here it is. Interesting. What does this feel like? Oh, I can feel my stomach tighten a little bit. Oh, and there are the stories about these people I don't know anything about. Oh, interesting. Oh, there it is. There's dukkha. This is what dukkha feels like. It's like I, I sort of become curious about the texture of, of the feeling of that dukkha, of that, that suffering. It's like if you were to feel both your hands right now, and you can feel maybe the calluses or the, the, the small crevices or dents in your hand. Because you can just kind of be like, oh, here are my hands. But it's different, isn't it? When you really feel into the lines in your hand, the heat of them, they might be dry, they might be cool or warm. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Just if you were to take a moment just to feel the palm of your hand. I mean, there's things right now I could be like, well, I've never taken time to feel this callus here. I just assume it's a hand. 
But then I missed there's all these contours to this hand here. What would it be like to have that kind of curiosity towards the difficulties in your life? What are the contours there? Where are the, the indentations, the calluses? Where, where that suffering feels cool or warm? Oh, interesting. It's like this. It feels like this. These are the thoughts that come. This is how it feels in my body. These are the emotions here. Interesting. Oh, yeah. And when I, when I start to believe those stories, like in the post office, like it shouldn't be this way or it should be going faster or they should have at least one more person. Why did that person come up when, just when I was right at the beginning? Where were they? Were they just like slacking off back there? Oh, that story. Oh, interesting. Oh, there's, there's the suffering. My, my story. My world. And then something different starts to open up. A different kind of suffering starts to arise. Ajahn Chah, who was this great Thai forest monastic, he said, there, there are two kinds of suffering. The suffering that leads to more suffering and the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. And what we're interested in here, as I said, is that turn to make whatever you're going through to start to become the gateway to your freedom. This is the beginning of this path, is to understand suffering in this way. So again, the, the Four Noble Truths, the first noble truth to start to understand, there is suffering. But on this deep level, like the, the feeling your hand, oh, there's suffering, uh, becoming curious about what it's like. From the big stuff in your life to the small stuff where you're looking for the great dog rather than just the good dog. <laughs> really that curiosity around that. And, and to remember in this exploration, as you notice, when I'm feeling my hand, I have the capacity to become curious about it. Yes, there are things in my life that are so intense that it's difficult to be curious about it. You know what I'm talking about? Those things that feel like there's too much anxiety in your life. There's too much depression. There's too much confusion. And you don't know what to do. So in those instances, I'm not so, so interested in trying to touch that suffering. I'm more inter interested in seeing if I can get some space around it so that I can start to become curious about it. So I want to acknowledge that, that it, there is an art to this. This is kind of the, the, the short version of the first noble truth. And there's a whole art to understanding suffering in a way that, that I'm not just overwhelming myself again, because that's not help, helping. And maybe you've, you've had that, that sense of like, oh, I need to turn towards that su the suffering. And then what happens is you just become overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Ever experienced that? Mm -hmm. Totally sucks. <laughs> We're not looking for that because that's just suffering that leads to more suffering. I need to learn this art to start to have space around suffering, like having more compassion and kindness towards myself so I can feel into this. And probably a, maybe this, during discussion time, we can talk more about the nuance of this, but I, I think it's important to, to name it. So again, we don't use it just to beat ourselves up. 
because it can feel like that of like we start to try to become curious about our suffering and we can't do it. And then there's the thought again, something's wrong with me. And then it starts to cascade. So I want to point out that's not very helpful. Hmm. Cultivating curiosity in the space to have curiosity. Okay, so let's uh, take just a brief break, maybe just 30 seconds, just to stretch your legs if you need to, stand up, move around, and then we'll begin to sit together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.